Okay, so we are doing now Thursday's portion of this week's parsha, Lech Lecha. And what just happened yesterday in the Chumash is that Abraham, 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 Abraham was informed by Og, the giant who was really desirous of Abraham's wife, Sarai, Sarah, that his nephew Lot was captured with all the people of Stone. And there was a war between the four kings and the five kings. And the four kings had won over the five kings and they had placed them under their taxation and subjugation. And then the five kings rebelled. And for 13 years they rebelled. And in the 14th year, the, 14, the four kings came and again defeated these kings and took all their possessions and all their people captive. So Oig, the great giant who survived the flood, he came to tell Abraham the news, knowing that Abraham would feel a need to go save his nephew, and obviously he would be destroyed. Look how powerful these kings are. There's four of them, and there's five of the others, and the four went over the five both times. So obviously Abraham would be destroyed, and Sarai would be left alone, and then Oak would come and take Sarai. And God made this massive, massive miracle. Either Abraham went just with 318 boys, slaves, children, students, so we understand who they were, and won over this tremendous army, or it was only him and one person, his steward, Eliezer, and won over this entire army with great, great miracles. So now we are after the war. Abraham has won. The five kings and all their people are released. And now, today's portion in chapter 14, verse 21. The king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the people and take the possessions for yourself, meaning you saved everyone. At this point, it all belongs to you. All the people are your slaves. All the possessions are yours. But I know you're a nice person. <laughs> like, do me a favor, and for everything you captured, give me back my people, my, my country, my town. And the bodies I keep, and you keep all the possessions. Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to God, the most high, maker of heaven and earth, meaning I've raised my hand is an expression of an oath. That I raised my hand to God to swear. If so much as a thread or a shoe strap, or if I shall take from anything that is yours, so you shall not say it is I who made Abraham rich. So he's swearing that he's not even taking a thread or a shoelace from the spoils, because he doesn't, he doesn't want anything. He says, I won't take anything yours, even if you want to give me a payment from your treasury. I won't take it. So you shouldn't say, I made Abraham rich, meaning God promised me to make me rich. So since God promised me to make me rich, I don't want people to think it came from you. I want people to give glory to God and know that my wealth is just literally the work of God. Far from me... Only what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who accompanied me, they shall take their share. So what the young men have eaten, meaning the, the people that went with him to fight, the 318 or Eliza, whatever they happened to eat, that's, we took that. And these three um, companions of Abraham and their Eshkelet Mamre, they did not go in the battle. But they stay behind and watch the gear and guarded it. So therefore, they shall take their full share. 
So it's very interesting here because usually people make a differentiation between people that risk their lives in battle and people that are standing in the back with the, you know, the, the trucks and, and to get equal share. But we see Rashi says that King David did the same thing. And King David said, the people that go to battle and the people who stay with the, with the gear, they should have equal portions. And the verse then says that this was uh, made an ordinance from that day and upward. It's a very unusual term. Usually you say from that day and onward. It's an ordinance from now on. So onward implies from this point in time and onward into the future, people that go to battle, people that stay with the gear, equal. That's not what the verse says. It says that day and Upward, upward means sort of like from this point of time and looking back in the past. Looking back in the past is because in the past, Abraham already made this ordinance. Now we go to the next chapter and we go to another event, a very significant event. Ultimately, what we're going to be discussing, though we don't get to it today, is the covenant between the pieces, a very fundamental covenant between God and Abraham, which is really true, of course, between God and the Jewish people. After these events, the word of God came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am a shield for you, and your reward is very great. Now, in the Hebrew, there are two ways to say after. Achar, nachare. And Rashi says a rule, which he says more than once in the Chumash. So whenever it says achar, it means immediately after, and achare means a while after. So our verse here uses achar, which means immediately after. So it turns not history book. But the word Ahar is telling us that this event, this what ultimately is the covenant between the pieces, came right after this previous event written, which is Abraham fighting this war to free the five kingdoms from the four and all the events that happened after that, which means that it's linked. That's why the verse is telling us this. So what's the link? So after Abraham just had such enormous miracles, he he won over four vast armies of kings for those days. Their troops vastly outnumbered his, even if he had 318 boys with him. So he was worried. And he said, maybe I just used up all my rewards. Yes, I've been a good person my whole life, but God just made me such an enormous, enormous miracle. He was worried. Maybe I used everything up. So what does God say to him? So after these events, immediately after, Here's Abraham worried that he used a ball's reward. So God says, I'm a shield for you. Your reward is very great. Meaning, I'm sorry, he said, fear not, Abraham. I'm a shield for you and your reward is very great. Fear not means, fear not, you didn't use up your reward. I'm a shield for you. I'm a shield for you, meaning if you're scared, you're going to get punished. Because you just killed so many people in this battle, I'm shielding you from punishment. And your reward is very great, meaning, you're worrying that you used up all your reward. You know, you, you emptied out your bank account for this miracle. Don't worry. Your reward is very great. So here's God coming to comfort Abraham. Fear not. Don't be worried. Use up all your reward. I'm a shield. You won't be punished people you killed. Your reward is very great. You didn't use up your reward. You still have your reward. So God says all this to him. And how does Abraham respond? And Abraham said, my Lord God, what can you give me, being that I go childless, and the steward of my house is the Mesogeliezer. So first, there's quite a long Rashi, which really translates the word Ariri. And Rashi gives two translations. First translation, based on another compiler of the language of Torah, Menachem ben Saruk, which Rashi quotes every once in a while. Menachem ben Saruk says the word Ariri comes from the root word 
heir, which means a child or an ear, like an inheritor, one who inherits you, your heir. So heir means a child. Ariri is the absolute inverse of heir, which means childless. So Abraham says, I am going ariri, meaning I'm going childless. How do we get childless from heir, which we're saying means a child? So the holy tongue has this concept that sometimes a word means its translation and the inverse of it. As almost if you could think in numbers or they do like absolute values, minus five and five is the same absolute value. So in the holy tongue, a word can mean itself and mean its opposite. So heir means child and means childless. I'm going without child. What's the point of any reward you give me? I'm not going to get it. Eliezer is going to inherit me and not my child. Or Rashi gives another explanation based on different root word of Ariri, looking at the same ayin resh, air, but relating it to the word destruction, like aru, aru, destroy, destroy. So, Holech Ariri, I'm going destroyed. Why am I destroyed? Because I don't have children. So you're telling me, oh, don't worry, you didn't have your for your reward. Your reward's going to be very great, very great. I'm like, what precisely do I care? What do I need a great reward for? Who's going to get it? Eliezer? What do I need it for? So what did he call Eliezer? He called it Bemeshek Basi. So Unglis translates Bemeshek as from the word being sustained. Like we would say the steward of the house because all of my household is sustained by his management. So since he's my manager, he's doing what my son should do. If I had a son, my son would be in charge of everything that's mine. But instead, oh, he is in charge of everything that's mine. So anything you give me in the end is just going to him. So like, what do I care? So the verse calls him Damasek Eliezer, Damascus Eliezer. And Rashi gives three explanations on that. Uncle's explanation, the most literal one here, is because he was from Damascus. Damascus Eliezer, Eliezer from Damascus. Then Rashi gives a Midrash, more remote from the literal meaning, which says he was called Damasek Eliezer because he chased the kings until Damasek, meaning in this previous situation, where again, according to one understanding of our sages, it was just Abraham and Eliezer that fought the battle. So Eliezer single-handedly chased these, these four armies until Damascus. And the third explanation, which is even further from the literal meaning, we can look at this word as an abbreviated form of two other words, which in the Hebrew we call a notrikun. If we take the word Damasek and you sort of cut it in half, or one letter than the rest of the word, you could pull out two words from it, doyle and mashke, which means draw water and give to drink. In other words, he would learn, draw water, and teach, give to drink. So he would learn and teach from the teachings of his master Abraham to others, which of course explains why he's so special and therefore why he deserved to be the steward of Abraham's house, to be his right-hand man, and to inherit everything. But So what's the point? I need to give him more? Not give me a comfort time, you're going to give me more. Then Abraham said, See, to me you have given no offspring. And see, my steward inherits me. So therefore, Rashi explains what's the advantage in giving me more. Suddenly the word of God came to him saying, That one shall not inherit you. Only the one who shall come forth from within you shall inherit you. And he took him outside and said, Look down now toward the heavens and count the stars. You were able to count them? So 
so shall be your offspring. So the verse says he took him outside. So Raji here gives us three explanations on this idea of going outside. First, we have the literal explanation. God took Abram out of the tent outside to look at the stars. In other words, God wanted to take his words and make them very tangible. So I'm not just promising you children, which God had promised Abraham before. But look at the stars. He's connecting his promise with a physical action because that makes it concrete and will materialize. So look at the stars. And can you count the stars? No. Right. That's going to be your children. That's the most literal explanation. The second explanation is when God said to him, go outside, God was saying, and again, connecting the idea of stars and counting the stars, looking at the stars, God was saying, go out of your astrological calculations, meaning go outside, go out of your understanding based on astrology of your fate and your wife's fate because you see in the stars and that you and your wife cannot have children. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to change your name. When we change your name, you're going to be beyond the stars because you're not going to no longer be Abraham. You're going to be Abraham. Abraham, not Abraham. And Sarai is not going to be Sarai. She's going to be Sarah. So Abraham and Sarai can't have children, but Abraham and Sarah can. So go out. Go out of your astrological calculations. Go out of what's destined for you by the stars. Look at those stars and understand you're beyond the stars. You're going to have new names and your astrological destiny will change. Meaning, really, when did, when did Abram get a new name? Much later. He got this name when he had his circumcision. Now, he had his circumcision when he was 99. Many years later, this promise is fulfilled. And then, when he had his circumcision, God gave him a new name. And then, after the circumcision of the name... Truly, then a year later, Isaac is born. Because the new name has to be connected to the circumcision because the circumcision is what moves him, so to speak, to the status of a Jew. So changing the name, changing his destiny, means moving him from a person of the world under the control of the natural order and stars to a Jew. A Jew is beyond the stars. That's why looking at the stars and the stars are predicting your destiny those stars have no validity for a Jew. So the fact that the stars that you can have children is irrelevant. Because once you have your circumcision, change your name, your destiny has changed. You're above the stars. And therefore the stars have no ruling over you. Which connects to the third explanation, based on a precision of the wording of the verse, God said to something very interesting. He said, go out and habit na hashemaima. Habit, which means look. But habit always means to look down. So look down at the stars. We don't look down at the stars. We look up at the stars. The Rashi said, God took, when he said God took him outside, it doesn't mean like the first explanation outside his tent or the second outside of his astrological calculations. It means out of the whole face of the world. He raised him above the stars. That's what it means, look down on the stars, which of course directly connects to the explanation we gave. Because that's what was happening. God says, we're going to change your name. We're changing your destiny. You're going to be looking down on those stars. You're not going to be under them. You're going to be above them. Jews are above the stars. So don't worry about the stars. You're going to have children. So what was Abraham's response? And he trusted in God. And he considered to him as a righteousness. So he trusted in God, Rashi said, meaning he didn't ask him a sign. 
Meaning, God now gave him this enormous promise. He's been childless for years and years and years. And God, he had once previously, God had promised him children. And here again, God is promising him so strongly children. And he just believes. Which Rashi is contrasting to the next promise, because this is an auspicious time, and God now gives him a second promise. We're going to see tomorrow, where God also promises him the land of Israel. And after he promises the land of Israel, Abram asks for a sign. For the children, Abram didn't ask for a sign. There's a special righteousness on Abram's part. Now, explaining when he asked for a sign for the, for the land, it doesn't mean he doubted. He was doubting. He might as well doubt having children. That was as absurd and preposterous as improbable. But having children is in God's hands. God's given them children. God's given children. We just stay grateful and thank you. But keeping the land of Israel, everyone was like, not, I don't need a sign because I doubt your word. But I, I don't understand your word. How in the world will my children merit to keep the land of Israel? So when I say, where shall I know that I'm going to inherit it? Meaning, give me a sign. Give me a sign that I'll understand how they will merit to keep the land of Israel. And God said the sign is, the merit is, the merit of the sacrificial offerings. And the merit of the offerings that they will offer on the altar, that will give them the maintenance of the land of Israel. They will continue to hold their grip on the land of Israel through the offerings, which connects very much to the continuation of the chapter where to make this covenant with God and Abraham Abraham offers up many offerings, and Rashi gives two different interpretations on the offerings, on the animals, and one of them is they all are symbolic of various sacrifices, which connects to this explanation he's giving now, that Abraham said, in what merit will we keep the land of Israel? In the merit of the sacrifices. Oh, so that's why now Abraham is offering up all these offerings, symbolic of the sacrifices. Rashi doesn't continue, but the Midrash goes on to say, then Abraham said, so God, what will happen when there's no longer a temple? Oh, then when my children keep the land of Israel, there won't be a temple and be able to offer offerings. So God said in the merit of reading the portion of the sacrifices, meaning every day before we pray, we read the passages from the Torah that describe the daily offerings called the order of Rabbanus, the sacrificial offerings. So in the merit of us reading those offerings, because our lips are considered like offering them by the movement of our lips, that alone is a merit that if we will maintain Israel. So therefore, when the verse says, and he considered him as a righteousness, the first way we're understanding this is that God considered a righteousness on Abram's part, that he trusted him without asking for any sign or anything to solidify this promise. Because again, a sign doesn't mean, I don't believe in you. Obviously, I believe in God completely, absolutely. I mean, God's talking to him. Abraham had a very, very close relationship with God and believed in him since he was three years old. But the point of a sign, so the first explanation that Rashi gave was the sign is explaining the merit that the Jews will have to maintain Israel. Another more deep understanding of the sign, as Hasidus says, is because, as I mentioned before, we need a physical action to take God's words and make sure they materialize in a concrete reality, meaning all of God's words will be true. Absolutely, always. But it doesn't always present itself as a truth that's in our concrete world term of what those words mean. So what can we do to take God's words and make them materialize in a physical manifestation? By doing a physical act. So therefore, for the promise that God's going to say to him for maintaining, receiving and maintaining the land of Israel, 
Abraham wanted a sign, meaning he wanted a physical act between himself and God, as happened, that covenant between the pieces, to ensure that God's words would not stay as a spiritual reality, and the Jewish people would merit to the spiritual version of the land of Israel, but that rather it would descend to a physical reality, and on the most physical plane, Jewish people will inherit the land of Israel.